If you brought a copy of scripture with you this morning, you can find the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, as we begin or renew in earnest our exposition of this great, great book in the New Testament. Before we do, let's pray. And as we pray, uh, here's a question. It was 21 years ago at this very time where all of us were going, what in the world is going on? You remember that? And a lot of things changed. And even God was surprised. <laughs> nah, he wasn't surprised. But a lot of us were wondering, what is he up to? We're going to be talking about the manifold wisdom of God. We're going in on the deep end this morning. And as we do, I want you to know that the secret to the manifold wisdom of God on display in this world is the church, the church's trust, humility, and boldness. And we'll see this, but let's pray to that end, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful today that we can come before you, open up your word, do so freely, express our praises to you, and sing, hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. And yet, Lord, we know that's not true everywhere in the world. It's not even true in some of our lives right now because some have no hope. They have no access to you. Well, they do, but they haven't taken advantage of it through the door of the Lord Jesus. And I pray for those today that they would do so. And for those of us who have, uh, regardless of what's happening in our lives, may their hope spring eternal today. And may you encourage and comfort and strengthen and edify your people today and win those who don't know you to yourself. Now strengthen us by your spirit and your word. Now we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're at, and we, we begin in verse 8, but before we go there, when I was, I grew up in Waterloo, Iowa, and we hung out at Burns Park Pool all the time, throughout the summer. I love that pool. I have some of my greatest memories. But I also remember for many years when I was really little, looking to the deep end and wishing I could go in there and jump off the boards. But I couldn't swim. So it was not a good idea until I could swim. I say that because we're diving into Ephesians on the deep end. In fact, this might be the deepest part of the entire epistle, the whole letter here. But no worries, because I provided some spiritual floaties for all of us here, okay? So with that in mind, let's jump in. Let's jump off the board in verse 8 of chapter 3, where Paul, very personally, he's so, he's so crazy. He always takes things so personally. To me, he says... To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that's our subject today, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Sorry for the broad stirring comment, sterling comment here. In whom we have boldness. Now, this is in the Lord. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. The Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome. That's where he wrote this letter from. And under house arrest, what a waste. In fact, some people might think, Lord, what a waste of a great resource of evangelism. And I sometimes look around the church, and I look around the world, and I see those who claim to know Jesus, who live like hypocrites, those who lay no claim of Jesus, who mock Christianity. When I see politics of vitriolic hatred, when I see the geopolitical state of the world where Christians are being persecuted in North Korea and China and the radicalized Muslim countries, where I see war going on with Russia and Ukraine and so many others. In fact, when I see one third of the world has no Bible, has no witness, has no church, has no hope. They can't sing that song we just sang. I'm left thinking once in a while, you know, God, if you would just give me the reins for one day, I'd fix a lot of stuff down here. I mean, seriously, do you see what's going on over here? I mean, there's some bad people. I just take them out. And, and some of them who are just messing everything up, I would have you save. And that would really create a whole, everything would be so much better. And then I remember my theology, my belief in the sovereignty of God, right? And I, and I, and I get my glasses on, I get that 50-20 vision, Genesis 50-20, where Joseph says to his brothers, who think he's going to squash them because of all that they have done to him, but he now is the second in charge of all of Egypt, and he says to his brothers, uh, you're not getting it. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. There is a great passage on the sovereignty of God. And I would think of many other passages like, remember Mordecai to his niece, Esther, who's now the queen, when the Jews are facing annihilation, he says, who knows that you haven't ascended to the kingdom for such a time as this, right? And then there's Nebuchadnezzar who went from greatness to grass. And then after seven years, he reascends to the throne. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of the world in Daniel's day, declares in one of the greatest sovereign statements you'll ever read in all the Bible when he says, Nebuchadnezzar says this, and all the inhabitants of the earth are, are refuted as nothing. And he does according to his will in the armies of heaven amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say unto him, what are you doing? Only God, right? Even more contemporarily, the, I mean, over the last couple of hundred years, the, the birth of our nation, the pilgrims making their way over, we have a free country where we send out missionaries around the world, permeate the world with the gospel. God is constantly demonstrating his manifold glorious wisdom, both in the past and in the present, is he not? I mean, just the other day, I was with 
a missionary from Saudi Arabia. Think about this, Saudi Arabia. Utterly, completely slam the door closed country for 1,400 years since the birth of Islam there. Just a couple of years ago, because of economic upheaval, the king says to his son, figure out what we can do to help out our economy. The son opens the door to the Western world, and now missionaries are coming in like the one I just met with, and people are coming to know Jesus. Only God. The late Queen Elizabeth II once said, let us not take ourselves too seriously. None of us has a monopoly on wisdom. And she was right. Except God. God does. Amen? And here's all Paul said. All the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable. Same word as the word in verse 8. And the only other time it's ever used. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Have you ever read that? Only God. Unsearchable. Verse 8, these are unsearchable riches of Christ. That, that Greek word means to be untraceable. It means you can't see it, something unseeable. And he's referring to the riches of Christ. And the truth is, if you're a Christian, if you're a true follower of Christ, which I know is many of you, and just as many probably that are not, but if you're a Christian, most Christians will ascribe to the sovereignty of God, right? The rule of God over all things. And the, the operative word in this text is wisdom. Wisdom is almost a replacement word here for the sovereignty of God. And we believe that, right? Amen? Until life and our expectations and evil invade us and we have trouble seeing. Have you ever been there where you had trouble seeing? Yeah, me, me too. There's like four of us here, so <laughs> thanks, Todd. And when we can't see what God is up to, we often ask that question, right? The one-word question, why? Why? In the midst of a growing church, the wife of a pastor suddenly dies. Why? Well, he couldn't see that God was preparing another wife, another life, and another church to do his bidding. Ten years later, that same pastor sits dejected that his vision of the expansion of the church is going to have to be put on hold. Why? Because he could not see that God was in the business of not just expanding the walls, but expanding his church through a church planting network. And five years after that, that very same pastor, while the church is growing and planting churches, has a son that gets arrested. And his dad, his, his pastor dad's very ministry is hanging in the balance. Why? Well, because that very pastor couldn't see the idol that was in his own heart until his son got arrested. The wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God. You could write your own script here, almost everybody. It could be death, rebellion, divorce, work issues, some heartache, medical issues. We have Brenda Long. She hasn't been in her, she's a faithful member of our church. She hasn't been here for a couple of years because of an of a audio, audioimmune situation that basically has her under medical house arrest. 
but she's not complaining because she understands the manifold wisdom of God. She doesn't know why, and she might even be asking why, but she's not shaking her fist at God. Why? Despite, despite a dazzling array of evidence that Jesus was the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament, the Jews rejected him, right? Why? I'll tell you why. Because God had something hidden, unseen in his own heart that would penetrate the world in ways Judaism never could. The church, the church of Jesus. My, uh, my mom used to say, here's the church. No, here's the building. Here's the steeple. Open the door and there's the people. Then I became a Christian, and it's, here's the building, here's the perch, open the door, there's the church. The church isn't a building, it's people, amen? In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 again. Here it is, we'll put it up there. So that, this is the way God's doing this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, I love that word manifold, we get our English word polka dot from this word. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Watch this. This is what I meant by the dee-nee-nee-nee-nee-nee-nee-nee. The rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Have you ever read that? Have you ever thought about what that means? Why is God doing what he's doing? He's doing it to blow the minds of the world, to save men, and he's blowing the mind of the angels while he's at it. The rulers and authorities is a direct reference to the angels. Listen, next to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest thing God ever did was to create the church. The wisest thing, and it's boggling, even the angelic realm. It's right there. They never saw this coming. By the way, angels are not omniscient. They're perfect, but they're not omniscient. They don't know all things, and when you get to heaven, those of you who know Jesus, you'll be perfect, but you won't be omniscient. You won't know everything, but you'll learn everything perfectly. Pretty cool deal, amen? And the, that's why the angels are just like, what? They're just, their minds are blown over. This is the reason why it tells us in Luke's gospel, the angels of God rejoice over one sinner that repents. The angels are up there going, oh, did you see that? Amazing, God, amazing. Here's how Peter put it. Look at this. Here's how Peter put it. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted, watch this, the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. Suffering, sufferings of Christ and his glories, you know, being on the throne that we still look forward to. That's all they saw in the Old Testament. The church was hidden. The church wasn't there. It, they did not see it. And notice it's even things that angels are what? They're like, what are you doing down there? It's amazing to them. It's called a mystery. <clears throat> Verse 9, see that? We've said this before, that mystery isn't like a mystery novel or a movie, but rather something that was hidden in the heart of God. That's what we're told there. And then suddenly revealed, like, oh! And that's where the manifold wisdom of God referred to here just explodes 
And what is that mystery? We've got to back up the train to verse 6, and there it is. It just sticks right out at you. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Hallelujah. Now, I like to, now think about it. That's the mystery. The mystery is the church is not just Jewish. It's Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free and men and women and boys and girls, everybody who knows Jesus. And so I, I like to imagine Paul explaining to the newly saved Jews and Greeks this concept of the church. And I picture it uh, with their response, first of all, to Paul, right after he's explained it for the first time. So, so, so they're saying to Paul, oh, okay, okay, the church, Paul. Uh, okay, I, I get it. Uh, you mean like the temple in Jerusalem? A new place to go worship, right? Is that what you mean? Great, because I'm getting tired of meeting at Gaius's house. When do we start building? Paul responds, well, actually, I'm talking about something a little more dynamic than a building. Uh, so not a particular place to go and worship? No. No? No. No, actually, you're the building. You're the temple. What, Paul? That's weird. Not really. Not really, if you think about it. I mean, when you trusted Jesus, did, did he not come to live within you? Uh, yeah. Well, then if God is living in you, what does that make you? Uh, a temple? Exactly! Exactly! Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God who is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Then Paul gets on his soapbox, says, I mean, we still, we still got to meet together. That's important. In fact, it's essential in a home or a building or some structure. But God is creating the church, which is the body of Christ, the newly formed people of God made up of everyone who trusted Jesus. And as God's temple, each of us mobile temples are responsible for the way we live, the things we do, the people we hang with, the way we raise our kids, all of our life. Now we're going to gather together. Let's Let's say on the day Jesus rose from the dead. That sounds like a good day. And we'll worship. And we'll sing his praises. We'll open up his word and we'll study his word and we'll encourage one another in our most holy faith and we'll win the world around us to Jesus. They respond to Paul. That, that sounds really cool. Yes, Paul said, think about this. The temple and the church. The temple was in a fixed place. The church was mobile. The temple was in Jerusalem. The church is everywhere. The temple requires many conditions. The church, just one. Faith in Christ. The temple was a place where you had to conduct yourself in a very certain way. The church takes on, listen to this, Paul says to them, the church takes on the language and the dress the very culture, even the music of the area in which it's trying to reach. Even singing will be different. But all will love God. All will love his word. All will love the gospel, and everyone will love Jesus. Amen? 
Paul finishes by saying, for years, people have been coming from all over the world to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, God's temple will go all over the world to the people. Wherever God's people gather together, his wisdom will be on display. This, verse 10, is the pokalois, the manifold wisdom of God. Can I get an amen? This word, manifold, is a beautiful word. It means varied, multifaceted. We get our word polka dot from this word. Okay, and just as polka dots come in various sizes and colors, so does the manifold wisdom of God that stymies us and should cause us to praise his holy name. Amen? So God's manifold wisdom is revealed to our world. That's where we're going to spend the balance of our time. God's manifold wisdom is revealed to our world in three ways. We mentioned it at our prayer time. Through the trust of Jesus' people. Even when we suffer, as Paul was, and we're tempted to ask, why? Those who know God knows do best. Because we trust in him. Amen? We know God knows, and that's why we can trust him. Just yesterday, something disheartening occurred to me. And I was asking myself, and maybe to a certain degree, God, why? I mean, it wasn't the end of the world, but the timing of it was awful, absolutely awful. And yet I know he knows. And so I trust him. God does keep secrets. You know that, right? Moses wrote, he said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Jesus, the night before he died, said to his disciples in John 16, 12, he said, there's a lot of things I'd like to tell you. You just can't handle them now. Well, I've got news for you. There's a lot of things God could reveal to you and me, but we can't handle them. And instead of saying, why, and shaking our fist, we should say, thank you, Lord, for understanding me. Right? I trust you. God is working. Whether we see him or not, Job testified to this. I looked to the south, I looked to the east, I looked to the west. I can't see him when he's working. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's a person, only a person that's trusting in the Lord can say that. And why is that important? Because the world needs to see this. The world is watching how the church responds to the trouble that befalls it just like it befalls them. We all have troubles, amen? But we are the ones on display here. We are the manifest wisdom of God on terra firma for them to see he's worth trusting as well, amen? Does the manifold wisdom of God show itself in your life? Therein lies the question. Secondly, God's manifold wisdom is revealed to our world through the humility of Jesus' people. Now, I love the way this starts out. You caught it during the Bible reading. I mean, crazy Paul, I mean, he took everything so personally. 
You see those first two words there? You see them? He starts out by saying, to me. He's like, he's, and by the way, it's, that's emphatic in the Greek. It's on the front end of the sun. To me, he says. You see it there? Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Listen carefully. Humility never generalizes truth. It personalizes truth. I'll say it again. Humility never generalizes truth. It personalizes truth. Paul did it all the time. He said to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, you narcissist. No, he wasn't. He was humble. And humility never generalizes truth. It personalizes truth. And Paul did, and you should too. And when you do, it'll make you humble. And by the way, the grace referred to, this is the giftedness that he refers to here, was, is always given. Grace is always given. And the grace that Paul had, notice, was He's on the least, even though I'm the least, I got this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Preach. Preaching was a gift. Listen, if you think about it, preaching doesn't require grace. Anybody with the gift of gab can preach. But preaching that brings to light, did you see that in verse 9? That brings to light, that illuminates produces fruit in the hearers. That's a gift. Paul had it, and he didn't brag over it. It made him more humble. That's why he said to the Corinthians, what do you have that you've not received? Rhetorical question, by the way. That's why John said earlier on, the Baptist, remember, he must increase, I must. Talk about a descending assessment of oneself. I want you to see Paul's descending assessment of himself as he grew in his walk with God. It's marvelous. In 1 Corinthians 15, earlier on in his ministry, he said, he described himself as the least of the apostles. That's, wouldn't you agree, that's pretty humble, right? I'm in the last one in, you know, last one in, that's, I'm at the bottom of the pack. I'm, I'm in the caboose. Pretty humble. He grows a little bit more to the Ephesians, we've already seen it. He says, I'm the very least of all the saints. And then just a couple of years before he dies, he says to Timothy, I'm the worst sinner of them all. That's the descending assessment of the Apostle Paul. Listen, if you grow in grace, you'll gray in grace. You won't get a big head you might get a broken heart, and you probably will. You'll become more and more humble, more and more appreciative, more and more grateful over the grace of God in your life. And this is the manifold wisdom of God that must be on display if our world is going to buy into it. It's got to be on display in your life. You're not just a mannequin that somebody comes to the storefront to stare at, you are a, you're on the walkway. 
What's it look like? Do people see the manifold wisdom of God and you who trust in the Lord in all circumstances and walk humbly before him? What does God require of you? Well, the prophet told us, right? Do justly, love mercy, and oh, by the way, walk humbly before God, right? Lastly, God's manifold wisdom is revealed to our world through the boldness of Jesus' people. You see this at the very end. He says in verse 12, in, he says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he, was, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have what? Boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. The word boldness is a word that means, it literally means all speech. That's what it means. It, means, it literally means all speech, but it conveys the idea of having freedom of speech, being utterly and completely unashamed when to say it, what to say, and who to say it to. In fact, the best example that I can come up with is, is right there in Acts chapter 4. You're Many of you are familiar with this. this. is shortly after the church begins. Peter and company are preaching. They get hauled in before all of the brass. The religious leaders, Caiaphas is there. So is Annas, the high priest, and a number of others from the priestly family. They haul him in, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, said, rulers of the people and elders... If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, remember this guy who was laying there, you know, alms for the poor. Remember, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I'll give you in the name of Jesus. Get up. He does. This is why they're getting hauled in. He says, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, that's boldness, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It's become, he's become the, the cornerstone. And this is a salvation, there's salvation in no one else but him. There is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Bible tells us at that moment, at that very moment, they just gazed at, at what, who is this guy? Some country bumpkin fisherman telling us what to do. It says, now when they saw the boldness, same exact word as the one in Ephesians, the all speech, the freedom of speech, the unashamed speech of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and common men. They were astonished. And then this, they recognized they had been with Jesus, companions of Jesus. How do people recognize you? How are you recognized? Are you recognized as a quiet sort? Kind of keep things to yourself, right? Churchgoer, religious nut, goofy, hypocrite, religious guy, Bible guy. How about a companion of Jesus? What, what a compliment. 
When your trust meets humility, and humility gives way to all speech, boldness, they'll see that you're a companion of Jesus. And then, then maybe, Lord willing, through your bold witness, they'll find access to God just like you did. By the way, Do you have access to God? I mean, it's there. Jesus did say, I am the door. That is the access to God, right? But have you gone through that door? Really, seriously, have you experienced access to God? And if you never have, then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for you and rose again for you. And then from your heart, repent, express your sorrow to God for your sin and turn to God and believe in the gospel, the good news. Then you'll have access. Then you'll have confidence. Then you'll have boldness. Trust, humility, and boldness. If that's in our lives, manifold wisdom of God, the pokalites, the, the variegated, the amazing wisdom of God will be on display, and we will change the world. Let's pray. God, that's our prayer. That is our prayer. To glorify you in this life, we recognize, Lord, that you are wise, that you are, you are magnificent, you are great, and Nothing we do or don't do is going to change that. But your wisdom is on display through your church. And forgive us, God, for being lazy. Forgive us for for being fearful. Forgive us for being unwilling to speak up for Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting you because the world's watching us. Help us to trust you when hard times come. Forgive us when we demonstrate pride. Help us to have a descending assessment of ourselves. And forgive us, Lord, for being unwilling to speak the truth as the mobile church of God. Move us for your glory, we pray. And for those who don't know Jesus, save them for your glory, we pray. All according to your manifest wisdom and to your glory and that of your Son, we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand.